0: Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest is Dr. Sergey Bratis, Program Manager at DARPA and an Associate Professor at Dartmouth College. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bratis. How are you?
1: Uh, Doing well. It's great to be here. Uh, Just Sergey.
0: Hi, Sergey. Let's start at uh, at DARPA. What does a Program Manager at DARPA do and what are your priorities there?
1: Uh, As a Program Manager, I create the calls and formulate the problems that we want to solve uh, for the long perspective. Uh, You may have heard that DARPA seeks to prevent strategic surprise and create strategic surprise. What that means is that with our uh, current reliance on technology, we don't want to see some basic elements of our computing infrastructure uh, suddenly uh, revealed as vulnerable and then having to scramble to somehow uh, uh, deal with that vulnerability. So, most of my interests in uh, my position as a program manager have been what are the fundamental scientific problems that we need to solve uh, to secure our computing infrastructure?
0: One of the things about DARPA is by design, these, uh, these program managers, tenures are time boxed to two years to four years. This is your second run there at DARPA. Why did you decide to come back? Is this something that truly excites you? And, and what, is the, what is the big picture promise?
1: It absolutely does excite me. And I'm trying to give it my absolute best. What we'd like to see uh, today, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, is computers we could finally trust. And uh, this is uh, probably the most exciting thing of all for somebody who's been looking at the mathematical implications of exploitability, the empirical science of how computers that we build are not exactly what we wanted to build, but other things, including exploitable um, and robustly exploitable uh, things. This is my hope of helping that science to
0: advance. Is that even something that's realistic? Computers that do exactly what we want it to do? I mean, the idea of hacking and the idea of compromising is to just get this machine to do something that it was not meant to do. How realistic should we be in our mindsets around what security actually is?
1: Uh, That's right. That is precisely so. And even posing the right problem for the computer scientists, for the mathematicians to solve, must take this into account. From the hacker citizen science, and speaking as uh, an attendee uh, at DEF CON since the Alexis Park days, one thing that we know empirically about computers is that whenever we build a system, whenever we build a system of systems, it has this really long shadow of emergent behaviors, unintended behaviors, that are not just incidental, otherwise they wouldn't be continually, reusably, and uh, portably exploitable. So, what does that mean for the foundations of computer science? Can there be a mathematical characterization of how these emergent behaviors emerge? Where do they come from? We have models such as the Turing machine, or the lambda calculus, or Uh, finite automata or pushdown automata to uh, get uh, more into the nitty-gritty, where do our real systems diverge from those models? And why is this divergence ubiquitous? I think personally that uh, these are the most interesting questions of the age that the hacker community has been posing for the theory community. If you think back to Church and Turing and von Neumann and uh, Hilbert, uh, they would be excited about those problems because the nature of science is explaining the empirical phenomena. How do we explain exploitability? And then, of course, from that question, uh, we would have the answer on how to uh, reduce it.
0: Is there a massive difference between the theory community and the people putting security into practice? And I ask the question this way, like we have a general understanding of what good security hygiene looks like, about what secure development processes look like. We are are well into shift left and moving everything left and we still have a cybersecurity nightmare on our hands. Is, it, is theory so much different from the practical that it's just- Im-
1: No, let me question that. Do we have a really good understanding of uh, cyber hygiene? So let me talk about one of my programs, um, uh, Safe Documents or Save Docs, which is really about how do we build mm-hmm. parsers that we can trust? How do we build parsers and input validators that would actually validate input rather than being exploitable and the hacker's best friend uh, reacting to uh, crafted input. Uh, Do we understand the security hygiene or security best practices for creating a parser or designing a data format? In fact, the reality seems to be that uh, an implementation is doomed at the point when the data format is designed and some features in it are too ambiguous or too powerful. Uh, There is a a scientific direction here, which I helped to um, get off the ground, called uh, language theoretic security that characterizes weaknesses in protocol and format designs that then doom implementations uh, to being vulnerable. So there is theory, and then there is practice. In practice, we've converged to never roll your own crypto. You are going to make a mistake. Your users are going to be vulnerable. Right. What about never roll your own parser? We haven't quite converged to this. And if you look, the input validation or LangSec bugs, they are—they just continue. They're peaking. Each year I'm going to say, okay, this is the year of the peak LangSec. Uh, the clouds are vulnerable. The Electronic signature formats are vulnerable, and then the next year brings more and more surprises. So I would contend that we have not yet translated the proper science to the accessible hygiene for developers and designers of systems or even of data formats. Uh, Savedocs, uh, the program, are uh, aimed to do just that.
0: Fascinating uh, project. I was watching a talk you did at Microsoft Research around this, and the idea that this this goes all the way up back to the ISO formats. That you know, this the notion that a lot of uh, the descriptions are not machine readable. You mentioned they're not they're unambiguous. You know, there's just this, these standards are hundreds and hundreds of pages with these ambiguities everywhere. Now we're we're trying to get machines to clean up that ambiguity and, and you guys have already contributed a lot to getting those format fixed. That's tech debt. That, that's why is it even tractable that kind of debt that we're absorbing from the formats? And like you're mentioning, these new formats are coming on stream every day. Are we just creating more code than we can ever realistically try to secure?
1: Uh, we might be. Uh, and this is why we need uh, to rethink our approaches to Uh, information interchange. So, as you said, if you want to implement a format, let's take PDF, because we looked at PDF, that's over a thousand pages for just the core format specification. Now, what is the chance that two reasonable developers, two reasonable humans, are going to uh, read all those pages and come up with exactly the same interpretation of what they say.
0: Well, we don't want to get there, right? We want, them to be, we want it to be machine-readable, right?
1: That's correct. That is the way forward. So not only do, they want, do we want these uh, formats to be codified in a machine-readable, human-intelligible form, we also want our parsers to be generated from those descriptions so that for uh, two recipients of the same document or message, if we're talking about messaging formats, or streams, we can assert that we have proof that they are uh, understood, parsed, and understood exactly the same way. Now, this is important for documents, this is important for uh, protocols, this is important for authentication. Remember the X509 vulnerabilities? When A certificate authority would see a request for certificate signing differently than the ultimate client, the browser, would see the same uh, data in the signed certificate. You might think uh, you just signed uh, something for uh, a low-value domain, but in fact, uh, uh, the client would be led to believe that you signed a statement about a high-value domain, Google or Facebook or any one of those. Uh, These are real. And the interesting thing is is that these don't go away. Just recently, we had the psychic paper, vulnerability, well, uh, a year ago. And uh, it was that kind of parser divergence, or as we say, parser differential. And it was a very impactful one. And they keep coming back because we hand roll our parsers. When we specify our formats, Uh, We fall back to natural language uh, with its ambiguities and the normal uh, human forgetfulness. Have I checked this property? Where am I in my parser code? Which properties have I checked? Which property am I actually checking? Which properties are yet to be checked? And of course, if you act on something that you haven't checked, there you go. It's your vulnerability. Most of the time, it's a memory corruption. It does not need to be memory corruption. It could be a request uh, smuggling, which the clouds are now massively vulnerable to. Uh, You just look at the uh, 2020 presentations uh, along the lines of uh, HTTP2, the SQL is always worse. That was not the work we funded, but it's a harbinger. For things to come. The, the clouds are full of parser differentials. Right. The multiple middle boxes uh, that the request traverses are full of parser differentials. With save docs, there are finally tools, uh, data definition languages, secure parser construction kits that allow one to create a parser one can trust and one can prove, validates correctly a given set of conditions
0: you have multiple pro- uh, you have multiple participants in safe Docs taking different approaches to this right including folks at microsoft and some other folks what are what are what are the biggest promises from what your what is emerging out of safe Docs? Mm-hmm.
1: so uh, i have to uh, make a small correction microsoft is not a performer uh, they were interested, and their project Everest pursued the same line of scientific inquiry that you might call so uh, they're language
0: They're doing it independently. They are doing it independently. Talks,
1: right. uh, perhaps looking at our publications, I don't know. They have uh, in their paper uh, cited prior right. uh, language theoretic security research, uh, which uh, is great. You know, we we feel that we've been heard. But the uh, performers of uh, Savedocs uh, have a really interesting structure. So you say that, are we listening to the scientists or are we listening to the hackers? Now, in uh, Savedocs, most performer teams include both theoreticians and familiar hacker companies, cybersecurity companies, uh, whom you see presenting at uh, Defcon, Black Hat, Uh, and other uh, security conferences, uh, industry security conferences, citizen science security conferences. So SaveDocs is, in a way, a poster child for what DARPA does. It bridges communities. It brings together uh, performers with different capabilities, uh, somebody with a mathematical understanding, such as uh, SRI, who have been doing formal verification, formal methods, for over 20 years, since the dawn of formal methods, or longer than that. And on the other hand, you have hacker researchers who have been exploring those parser differentials, exploring uh, parser vulnerabilities, and now they're working together on parsers that could be shown to be provably secure, or parsers that could be shown to be formally correct.
0: Are there any success stories you can tell about Uh, about what SafeDocs have already done to improve the formats, what SafeDocs have already done to remove attack surfaces in certain places? Is there like some documented...
1: Uh, Certainly. Our biggest success story is our interaction with the PDF Association, which is the industry umbrella organization for anyone who uses PDF, and think Adobe, Microsoft, and others, but also think companies that make hardware uh, interpreters for PDF, for high-speed printers, that print much faster than the software could parse that. What we've done is We've created on Save docs with the help of a PDF association, a model, a document object model for PDF, which is a machine-readable definition of all the objects that the PDF standard describes. And it is machine-readable, vendor-neutral, and uh, you could check your own parsers or your own validators' idea of correctness against that model removing the space in which those kinds of parser differentials or vulnerabilities due to them could hide. We also filed over 100 disambiguating edits to the PDF 2.0 standard maintained by the ISO, the uh, International uh, Organization for Standardization, and they have accepted most of them. So you see This is where I, as a mathematician, as an academic, see the value of formal methods. The value of formal method is that you get um, a mathematical proof, but your proof may be irrelevant to practice. Uh, It may be expressing things that the practitioners already know. The true test uh, of uh, formal methods is that they can continually surprise the experts The experts who have spent 20 years or more in their format, in designing their format. If we can show them that these are the corner cases that you have overlooked, that you have missed, that require more attention, then I feel we are succeeding in connecting the mathematics with the practice.
0: Why aren't we doing more of this um, this marriage of academia, uh, the two worlds is something you've mastered. Why aren't we doing more of this? Why isn't this more of a whole of society approach to getting these formats fixed or to getting, you know, work on parsers done?
1: So I, I would say that this is what this is exactly what DARPA does. This is exactly what I see DARPA doing on my watch, uh, and arguably DARPA is uh, has been a leader in this uh, for the society. This is uh, how we progress, and then of course, as a DARPA program shows that something is possible. We hope that the industry and the rest of society, through the experts interacting with those technologies, through the consortia of consumers of those technologies, uh, will take them and carry it further. Uh, as At DARPA, we plant the seed. We show that this is possible. But uh, I can give you another example. Uh, on my uh, other program, Assured Micropatching, we're bringing together the verification and assurance program analysis and other key uh, research topics that have been uh, very important for academia with the practical art and science of patching a vulnerable application to which you don't necessarily have the source code or the build chain. And so we seek to reinvent decompilation. We seek to reinvent recompilation We seek to create new classes of tools that give you the agility and the transparency to fix a binary, even though you might not have uh, the um, vendor who originally wrote this code, uh, they might already be extinct. They might have been um, out of business. They They might be unavailable. And yet we can take formal reasoning uh, mathematical reasoning about programs and applied at a point of uh, vulnerability in the binary, extending the life of those devices, protecting their users. That's another example where we're bringing the hacker practice, the reverse engineer practice, the reverse engineer who's been uh, called upon to understand the vulnerability and fix it somehow uh, with the mainstream uh, computer science.
0: And that's a critical, critical project because what you just described is, is stuff that's deployed in old, old deployments in critical places that, you know, in many cases, we have, we have kind of absorbed that risk because that will never be patched. You're saying mathematically and scientifically, we need to get to a place where we can patch those. Can you talk a little bit about some of the success of that?
1: Yeah. So the Assured Micropatching uh, Program, or AMP, is now uh, in a more mature phase Uh, we already have tools that make patching a binary an exercise in interpreting it, lifting it, and then having formulated and situated a patch. That in itself is a huge problem, right? Uh, So you know that a vulnerable version of OpenSSL or some other standard library isn't there, isn't this binary image. But uh, once you get this image off of the device, it's just a stream of bits. Where is that library? Can we identify it? Can we match it up against the code which we think is there? Uh, these uh, were all the problems that we posed on M, and that we see performers solving. We see, for example, uh, uh, Ghidra plugins that answer to this. Anger, the open source uh, symbolic execution and program analysis system uh, answering this. And a binary ninja now including that kind of functionality that can match up code that you think is there with what's in the binary. So now that you've situated where you want the patch, uh, of course, the uh, answer could be the the, the answer in uh, the situation when you can recompile, right? Would be oh, just go ahead and recompile. And that never works. Because if you use a slightly different version of the compiler, you never know what sort of binary code you're going to get. A small change to the code is not at all guaranteed to be a small change in the binary. So what you need is a new class of a tool, which we call an assured recompiler. It's a sort of a compiler that cares about the currently existing binary image, does not discard it, learns from it and seeks to disrupt it the least to affect the pointwise fix. And a lot of uh, binaries are there, are working because we tested them and we know they passed the tests, not because we have any stronger correctness guarantee. And so when you recompile that binary, again, pre-AMP, you would have to retest it the same way you tested the original. Right. With AMP, you can have an assurance argument that you understand you've enumerated all of the new behaviors caused by the small binary patch and you've minimized them. You're excluding the vulnerability and the associated behaviors, but you're disrupting nothing else. So that way you can reduce your testing and you can roll out your patch faster. Again, as a DARPA fundamental research uh, or applied research program, we can show feasibility we can open source the tools and hope that the industry will start accepting that. And 10 years from now, uh, a patch Tuesday uh, of downloading gigabytes to patch a security vulnerability uh, would be uh, firmly in the past.
0: You think 10 years is, is, a, is, a, is a realistic window to, to, to get to a point where this is practical? Um, I would hope so.
1: And that's certainly the horizon at which we're aiming. It takes a while for the industry to pick up um, scientific advances. When they're wrapped in tools and available for download, right, uh, right. that... Should... It's already in
0: Gidra. It's already in Binary Ninja. It's going to stay. Yeah. It becomes a lot easier.
1: That's, that's right. So uh, it's been a huge boon for us that Gidra has been open-sourced. Even as a teacher, mm-hmm. uh, I can say... It's great to be able uh, to tell the students download Ghidra. Prior to that, what could I say? Go buy yourselves. Go buy something stuff.
0: very expensive. Uh, yeah, a student would not be. It's able real. To it, it's really democratized. Ghidra has really democratized uh, reverse engineering in many ways. I mean, the open sourcing of Ghidra has been. Uh, game changer, you would say, especially as with, with students coming into it, right? That's,
1: uh, that, that, that's right. Also, uh, I really strongly believe uh, in the leading role of the citizen science in information security. Define that for me. Um, Define citizen science. Well, of course, you have academic science, credentialed institutions, mm-hmm. producing people with degrees, credentialed uh, journals or conferences, publication venue, venues that have peer review. It's an interesting fact of life that in computing, the discoveries of unintended behaviors, of emergent properties of computers, have happened by and large outside of the credential institutions, outside of the credential peer-reviewed journals. uh, You take uh, a conference like DEF CON. If you wanted to understand how systems work, including how UNIX worked on the binary level? What were the internals? What were the internals of dynamic libraries? What were the internals uh, of the uh, binary executable formats? You would go to DEF CON or you would read FRAC. And FRAC would be as useful for you as any uh, academic venue or more because they would include right, right. Uh, proofs of concept that you could run.
0: You mentioned FRAC, POC, GTFO. There are some other examples of what, what you're describing here. I, I feel like a lot, of that is, a lot of that is driven by voluntary work. A lot of that is driven by just intellectual curiosity. Is there a place for that to be properly funded so that it's not as dependent entirely on people's spare time? You know, why isn't there a Frack for every sector? Like, that's what mm, I'm asking.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a labor of love. Right. And it will remain a labor of love as scientific research uh, generally is
0: or was.
1: And uh, DARPA
0: has. Done... There's a purity to that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you see, uh, DARPA has um, supported this research, the uh, cyber uh, fast track program uh, run right, the by Mudge, program, uh, right? Mudge uh, when he was a DARPA program manager. Uh, was a prime example of that. And DARPA tries to work with uh, non-traditional performers. I would direct your attention to the AICC challenge just announced mm-hmm. at uh, DEF And I hope there will be more hackathon style challenges. But ultimately, it's a labor of love. And the best we can do is to make sure that the academic science, the credentialed, science, sees that for what it is, doesn't snub it, uh, and is open to uh, understanding and formalizing that enormous amount of empirical knowledge that exists in this community. And uh, luckily, to an extent, this has been happening. You can now see FRAC being cited in scientific papers. You can now see uh, DEFCON and Black Hat and other Uh, industry conference talks being cited in scientific papers. But it's a bridge-building exercise, and I would not say that the bridge is complete and perfect.
0: Right. And there's always that friction too, right? There's always the friction between the purists and the academics and the hackers and the researchers and the vendors who are responsible for keeping this safe and who have you know, financial obligations and business priorities that are sometimes different from security priorities. And that friction is why it needs to be independent that, and why it needs to be pure, right? That is true. And also, this is why we need to continue
1: creating that space in which this interaction happens. For me, uh, as a program manager, it's asking the right questions, it's posing the right problems, and then creating a program that could support this research and bring these people together. Uh, For uh, others, it could be creating challenges that the uh, DEF CON attendees might resonate to. Mm -hmm. Uh, For others, it might be creating a space in the open source uh, that uh, these different communities can interact in. But long story short, uh, the path uh, to uh, computers that we could finally trust certainly has that step in which uh, academics and the hacker community are working more closely and are more attentive to each other.
0: Uh, you and I have been around this place long enough to see these hype cycles go crazy, up and down with what the promise of blockchain, the promise of this, the promise of that. The latest is AI. You mentioned the AI Cyber Challenge out of DARPA, which is this 20 million program over a couple of years to try to get folks to really focus in on, on you know, what generative AI is and how we can have it solve security problems. When you take into account all the hype up and down cycles that we've seen, Are you bullish on AI? Are you there that this is the answer to uh, society's main problems?
1: Well, when one is asked uh, as a scientist, is X the answer to society's problems? One is bound to be skeptical because a scientist is bound to be skeptical. Uh, And of course, I can't speak for AICC because this is the creation of Perry Adams, a brilliant uh, program Mm -hmm. manager uh, who just joined our office. Uh, But uh, this, I would say, In uh, AI, historically, having the right representation of knowledge or input or the space in which uh, this kind of uh, numerical magic happens has been historically a winning move. So I would say that AI, and this is my personal opinion, does not somehow invalidate symbolic approaches or mathematical approaches, what is likely to happen is that we will see a fusion of how we represent programs, how we reason about programs today, the symbolic approaches, and the neural machinery, to see this kind of a neuro-symbolic fusion. Because your typical translator model, your typical uh, model that takes a large window of tokens and uses it as context, it doesn't necessarily have the uh, understanding or any understanding of what these tokens mean. It might represent context, but it doesn't have the semantics. As we all know, in uh, exploits, getting at the semantics, And finding this additional emergent semantics that somehow got built into the system unwittingly is the trick. This is the weird machines theory of exploitation that I helped to um, um, start off. Um, So I think we're going to go through phases when computing is presented differently, uh, maybe in towers of representations from the binary to the source and to the uh, desired objects, domain-specific objects. Because ultimately, you don't care about your C code or your Java code. You care about packets or images or messages. And so you should really be writing domain-specific languages uh, when you can and using domain models. And that will get learned by neural mechanisms and I think this is where the next amazing uh, set of applications would come from. Uh, I don't think it would come from strictly neural approaches, but that's just my personal bet. I may
0: be proven. So there's always going to be this hybrid there's a, always going to be this hybrid need for semantics and for a human a human final touch is there?
1: Uh, yes, or human annotation. I mean even so even today, uh, when aligning models, Uh, people use humans, right? When uh, tuning models, uh, you have to uh, ultimately understand if this is helpful to the the humans or not, right? So I think that as builders of tools that connect binary and the intent, the executable code and the objects, that we're not going to be obsoleted by AI. If anything, we might be complemented by AI. But um, again, I have another program called uh, vSpells. Recently, one of the performers was profiled in the register, which was interesting. And um, uh, the idea there is that when you already have a large legacy system, you can interpret the code, source or binary, you can lift it. And then you can make improvements to the system or changes to the system at that higher level. Uh, God forbid you need to write C to, check, uh, to change a C system. Uh, that is likely to lead to crashes. The more scale you have, the more likely you are to produce a crash in your production server. Uh, so we already see communities such as Linux community going on to a different way of changing the internals of the Linux kernel. But I think that approach will uh, flourish more and we hope to facilitate and accelerate it. And this is vSpells, the verified uh, enhancements, uh, uh, verified uh, security and performance enhancements uh, for large legacy systems.
0: I just want to circle back to the AI thing for a little bit because we're starting to see some use cases emerging where Google is, for instance, using some generative AI uh, technology, LLM technology to expand code coverage of OSS fuzz, their open source uh, uh, fuzzing infrastructure. We've seen GitHub push, you know, a lot of co-pilot like developer assistance type capabilities uh, for the left towards the developers when i look at like your safe docs program and all these programs is there room there where people can sprinkle ai magic dust and and scale uh, uh, improvements is there room there like where where should researchers be focused on when they're thinking about generative ai and security use cases
1: so i will say definitely and uh, in fact some of the uh, researchers on safe docs are already applying that and are already looking at a more uh, interesting problem of how far can AI help? If you consider the hierarchy of computing power, uh, where is uh, your current neural uh, and your future neural-based AI on that scale? Uh, But uh, once again, the question is semantics. We're describing a format. We're describing the properties, the structure, uh, the relationships between the objects that the parser must enforce, right? Addressing this problem only on the level of, is this C code vulnerable? Why are you writing your parser in C, right? Is probably, well, because it's fast, right? Or because C has been around forever or because it's easier to find C programmers. But uh, the most important thing is connecting the unambiguous definition of the format with uh, the code. And you can certainly use AI techniques for the program analysis task of show me that this parser actually enforces these properties. But uh, as always, you can't defend what you can't define. So you need to define it first. And the better you define it, the less uh, domain-specific language, the less Uh, data definition language you have to write, the easier it is for the AI to learn and to potentially apply to verifying your parser. This is uh, something that uh, uh, our office uh, has been interested in, certainly. Uh, Can AI help write verified code? You could look at the Provers program uh, of uh, the PM, uh, Brad Martin, and uh, other efforts uh, that are associated with that. But long story short, you can't really defend what you can't define. And uh, defining things unambiguously has been uh, the best tool that security has. And I don't think it's going to change.
0: We're running out of time. So I have one last question to close on. Is this big drive uh, around security by design and secure, uh, a program should be built software, everything should be built secure by design. I feel like there's so much ambiguity there to what that means. Each vendor defines that differently. Is that even a realistic expectation, this security by design? And where are your thoughts on the, the potential for this project?
1: So the key word is design, right? design in this particular case means uh, establishing the properties that the final software must have. In order to uh, trust software, you have to specify what is is it that you're trusting. For example, will it ever corrupt memory when being presented with an arbitrary or malicious input? And the answer to this has been safe programming languages. Safe programming languages would help eliminate a lot of the vulnerabilities, not all of them. Because if you look at the string rewriting that has been plaguing clouds again Uh, This HTTP2, the SQL is always worse, uh, is a prime example of that. Everything there uh, that created those vulnerabilities is written in memory-safe languages. Java, Python. Once you pin down what it means to have the secure design, it becomes a well-posed problem for the engineers, for the researchers, and for the hackers who would find counterexamples. An exploit is a proof-by-construction that a desired property does not hold this by the way uh, has been underemphasized for uh, you know as long as i can remember you know people think of proofs uh, of exploits as uh, these ad hoc clever inventions but in fact the other thing that they are is constructive proofs that a property does not hold for every exploit there is a theorem uh, long story short, it is definitely doable, so long as we keep refining what it means to have a trustworthy software, and how does that translate to the design, right? And in as much as uh, I can, I will support those efforts in my remaining time as a PM. Uh, but that is certainly a fundamental research problem, the way I see it, because. Mm-hmm coming back to the very foundations of computer science, David Gilbert uh, posed the Entscheidungsproblem. Uh, Can a computer decide if a mathematical statement is true? This is a question of, can a computer give me the answer to this kind of a problem? Can computers do this? What can't they do? What can they do? And how far we could trust them knowing that. So... I would bring that kind of uh, line of thinking in computer science that is exemplified by uh, the citizen science of hacking, of exploitation, of vulnerability research, back to the very roots of understanding what computers are. And pretty much all of my programs uh, tried to elicit that fact and bring it to the attention of both the hackers and the researchers.
0: All right, we leave it right there. Thank you very much, Sergey. appreciated that. This has been a thrill for me. I've been a big fan of your work, read read your books, looked at many of your talks over the years. So this has been a big thrill for me to talk to you. And I appreciate uh, your time to come and spell out some of these answers for us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. And I'm a big fan of yours. So it's great to be here. It's a privilege. This might create some more questions from your audience. Uh, I'll be happy to engage. Thank you.